Let's take our Bibles, please. Turn with me to Psalm 100 and verse number 2. It's a bit of a concern when you start making mention of the the scripture and then everybody departs out the back door. (laughs) It's all right. I know why you're out there. Psalm 100 and verse number 2. Simple verse, our theme verse for the year, simply says, serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Gladness, we might change that word to joy and it would be appropriate. Serve the Lord with joy. If you have been with us last week, you will know that we are in part two of a two-part series on this subject of joy. And so this is what we're asking this morning. What is joy? How can I live in the realm of joy? How did the apostles operate with undiminished joy despite their turbulent circumstances that we've read and I've sung about this morning? How did they do that? How did the Lord Jesus Christ endure the cross with joy? Hebrews says, how can I rejoice in tribulation? How can I rejoice in the Lord always, as the Bible tells me to? These are some of the questions we sought to answer last week, and we will develop just a little bit more this week. But last Sunday, if you didn't get this down, then I encourage you to write it down. I spent a great deal of time in the previous week seeking to uh, describe, seeking to define joy as I can see it in the scriptures. And this is what I came up with. Joy is that spiritual attitude that springs from a firm belief in the sovereignty and goodness of God. And that which results in praise toward God, regardless of all circumstances. Let me say it again for those who are writing it down. Joy is that spiritual attitude that springs from a firm belief in the sovereignty and goodness of God. That results in praise toward God, regardless of all circumstances. And last week I spent a lengthy portion of that message wanting to break down that definition into some bite-sized truths so that the youngest in our midst could understand it as well as the most mature. We focused especially on the fact that we must understand the sovereignty of God and the goodness of God if we are to experience joy. If you cannot understand in the sense of believing in the sovereignty of God, if you are not upholding that reality, then you cannot have joy. Because if God is not in control, we are in real trouble. We have no reason to be joyous. We have reason to be full of fear. If God is not good, then we have great reason to be fear because it means he's not for us. He's not with us. He's not on our side. So it is imperative that both the sovereignty of God and the goodness of God, these truths are understood and believed in order for there to be this expression of joy. And perpetual joy will only be experienced by those who have a correct view of God. And so this morning... 
We're going to look at this second point from last week, which is dealing with the subject of experiencing joy. How can I experience joy? And so this morning I want to preach a message entitled Walking in the Joy of the Lord, Part 2. Let's pray and ask the Lord to help us. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for this day. Thank you for what we have sung, for what we have shared, for what we have read. And now, O Lord, I pray that you would speak to each of us internally by the Spirit of God and help us to see this matter of joy. Help us to see what we have in you, the privilege that is ours to be in a relationship with Almighty God and to know that he is all-powerful in control of all things and working all things together for our good. Thank you that nothing can thwart your plans, your ultimate plans, that which you will accomplish And we can trust you. Thank you that you are faithful. Thank you that you are not like us as men and women who are so often fickle and changeable. Lord, you are immutable. And when we walk with you, there is a joy that supersedes anything this world has to offer. And so help us to see this reality today. In Jesus' name, amen. Last week, we looked at, first of all, understanding joy in that point. I gave us the definition of what joy is, and then we moved into this second matter of experiencing joy. Many of you were not here last week, and so I want to recover some of those things. Just a little bit of review. We want to know how joy can be experienced in the life of a Christian. And for that, I'd have us turn, please, to Isaiah chapter 12, a little bit of review really quickly before we continue with the points we left off last week. Isaiah chapter 12. And I would like to read the first three verses for us. We're going to turn to a lot of passages this morning uh, to help us understand this reality. Isaiah chapter 12 verse 1 says, You will say in that day, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, for though you were angry with me, your anger turned away that you might comfort me. Verse 2, Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and will not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. Note verse 3, With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. Experiencing joy begins in our first point, and that is at the point of salvation. Isaiah chapter 12 is a prophetic chapter talking about when the Messiah will come and what he will bring. He will be salvation, verse 2. He is the one we can trust in. He is our strength and our song. And with joy, we will draw from the wells of salvation. If you know this to be a reality in your life, you can look back now in your mind's eye and remember what it was to taste and see that the Lord is good. You ought to be able to say there was a joy that superseded anything else. Perhaps you, have, uh, you grew up in the world and you'd experienced aspects of this world and the depths of depravity in life. And then when Christ filled your heart, there was something new you'd never seen or felt before. That is the joy of the Lord that is like a well and a fountain springing up within us. The problem for us today so often is that we forget. We forget what we once were. We forget what it was like before Christ. And this becomes ordinary. 
This becomes the normal life. This is not a normal life. This is a super life in Christ, filled with joy as we walk in him. Joy begins at the point of salvation. And so uh, perhaps you're with us this morning and joy is some foreign concept. There's not this uh, certainty. There's not this absolute knowledge and uh, freedom to know that God is with me and for me. That will only come as you trust in Christ as your saviour and the one who took your place on the cross. Number two, which we looked at last week, joy is an attribute of God's kingdom and his spirit. Romans chapter 14. Romans chapter 14. We're going to turn to these ones just to give us all the context that we looked at last week. Romans chapter 14 and verse 17. We're saying that joy is an attribute of God's kingdom and his spirit. Verse number 17 says, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. You say, how can I have joy? Joy comes as a wonderful possession when the Holy Spirit comes to abide within. You say, how is it that I can have joy? The Spirit of God must be within that individual. That happens at the point of salvation. And then as I walk in him, my joy will be full, despite the circumstances. Joy is an attribute of God's kingdom. Number three, Psalm 51. And I won't read all that we read last week in this passage, but I will just point our attention to just a couple of verses here. Psalm 51, you'll recall, is that psalm or that song sung by David after he had sinned with Bathsheba. And if we had time, I'd read all of the verses to us here. But in verse number 8, when he comes to this matter of confession, Psalm 51 verse 8, he says, Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. In verse 12, he says, restore to me the joy of your salvation. In this third point last week, we mentioned that joy is the result of a heart cleansed from sin. I don't know about you, but for me, when I know that I have sinned, When I know that there is conviction within, when the bones are broken, metaphorically speaking, in verse 8, and it is a hard life before the Lord, and I finally come to that place, having been moved by the Spirit of God to confess my sin and, and say, Lord, forgive me for this. I now turn from this and turn to that which is right. There is a joy that is unrivaled. There is a satisfaction and a contentment in God when I confess my sin. And that is the way God designed it. God designed you to be miserable as a Christian until you come back to the place of confession and repentance. It is true what they have said. The saddest, most miserable people on the planet is a Christian that is not walking with God. They have tasted 
of how good God is. They have rejected that reality to go their own way. And God continues to heap upon them hardship and soul travail until the spirit of God is uh, recognized within that person. And that conviction is so hard that I come to the place of I'm either going to go to despair or I'm going to come back to Christ. That's God's design. And joy is found in a heart that is cleansed from sin. In Psalm 16, just a few pages back, let me give you our fourth aspect, again, that we mentioned last week. Psalm 16 and verse number 11, one of my all-time favourite verses in the Bible. Again, David has so much to say about these things. Psalm 16 and verse 11, David says or sings, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is a little bit of joy, some joy, half joy, part joy. There is fullness, fullness of joy. This word meaning it cannot get any more. It is fully contained in its absolute maximum. In your presence there is fullness of joy. And there's two thoughts here. First of all, we can have fullness of joy in this life when we walk with the Lord, abiding in his presence. But then there's also the thought and the reality of an even greater joy where one day we will be in his presence physically, bodily. And then there will be a joy that we have never experienced even in this life, which is yet to come. Joy in its fullness is found in the presence of God. Number four. Number five, which is the last one we looked at last week, we find this in John chapter 15. And I'm sorry, kids, I know you just found the previous one. But John chapter 15, I am moving quickly. You'll learn where everything is in the Bible pretty quick at this rate. John chapter 15. Amazing portion of scripture dealing with abiding in Christ. Here we see that joy is experienced When disciples abide in Christ and obey him. John 15, beginning in verse 4 for us this morning. Abide in me, and I in you, the Lord Jesus says, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Verse 8 says, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Notice verse 11. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. The paradox today for Christians in this culture is that we are most joyful when we are most obedient. The world says, how is it possible for you to be joyful in a circumstance where you have to obey a set of rules and laws? They look at that without Christ. But we don't obey the rules because we have to. We obey the rules because we love to, because we love the one who made them, because we're abiding in him. And so the joy of the Lord is most realized and experienced when I walk with him and when I obey him, when I am living for this Saviour, Jesus Christ. That's where we left off last week. So that's all review. Now we get to the message. 
That was number five from last week. This morning, I want to give us the last five before we close. How do I experience joy? Well, number six, joy is found in spiritual fellowship. Joy is found in spiritual fellowship. Please look with me at 2 Corinthians chapter 7. 2 Corinthians and chapter 7. And as you're turning there, I believe it is absolutely paramount for me to remind us that fellowship is not just two fellows in a ship. Okay? Fellowship and church is not just simply a gathering together of people. Okay? The church is not a building. Remember that. We talked about that for nearly a whole year. This is not a church. This people are the church of Jesus Christ, a people bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. And there is a commonality when we talk about fellowship. 2 Corinthians 7 and verse 13. Here is what we read in this portion of scripture. Therefore, we are comforted. And besides our own comfort, we rejoiced still more at the joy of Titus because his spirit has been refreshed by you all. Now, I've pulled a verse totally out of its context in one sense without reading the rest of it. But the one thing I want us to note is that these apostles and the people to whom Titus went were refreshed in their joy because of their fellowship. And what I want us to understand this morning is that biblical fellowship, biblical connection and looking out for one another like the church is supposed to, supposed to will result in joy. And if it doesn't, something's wrong. We don't meet together today to talk about the football. We don't meet today to talk about the things that are temporal. Even though they may form part of our conversation, that's not what we're here for. It's fine to have our pleasantries and and chat about our personal lives. But at the end of the day, our joy will be found in encouraging one another in spiritual things. So that when we come out of here and we face the world ahead, we can say it has been good to be with the house of God. It has been an encouragement to my soul. All week long, I've been in the world and I've been around sinners and I've perhaps seen the television or the media and things that are going on. And I come together with God's people and there is a special connection there i live for that reality you know what i find is that so many people take church as a duty it's not a duty it's a delight it is a privilege and it ought to result in joy if you've come here this morning and you're despondent and life is hard and you're in a place of difficulty right now my prayer is that meeting with god's people will lift you up to greater heights that are only possible in christ That you will find iron sharpening iron. You will find that our relationships are building one another up. That's the point of what we do. So that our souls, our inner man is refreshed and joy is experienced. If that is not happening, it is either you who do not see that as a responsibility and a priority. Or we're failing in our fellowship. Because that's what we're supposed to do as Christ's body there is joy to be found in fellowship and it's not like the country club 
It's not like the, the RACV club. It's not like people just getting together and mingling and talking. This ought to be on a deeper level because we are connected spiritually. Brothers and sisters in Christ, a greater relationship than anything else. In all of the world, we're bought by Jesus Christ, adopted into his family. You're my brother, you're my sister. That is true fellowship. Joy is found in spiritual fellowship. Number seven, joy is found in the knowledge of Christ's return. First Peter and chapter four, please. Towards the back of your Bible, First Peter chapter four. If we understand the background of 1 Peter and all that is going on in the world of Christianity at this time, these verses 12, 13, 14 and so on will have a different meaning for us. 1 Peter chapter 4, I'm going to begin in verse 12. In fact, let's read that. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. I love how Peter writes that. Don't think this is a weird thing. This is, this is how it's supposed to be. This is normal. If you're not suffering, something's wrong, he says. In verse 13, but rejoice in as far as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. You know what Peter is saying here? He's saying that in this life you are going to have tribulation. Don't be surprised by it. And that tribulation, that difficulty, that background of sorrow and hardship will create in you even a greater joy at the revelation of Jesus Christ because you are longing for it. You are groaning for it. Your life's goal is to see him. See, what happens so often is we get so distracted, church. We get so concerned with the here and the now, with the busyness of life, with the agenda, with the schedule, with the things we have to do here, there, left, right and centre, the whole bit. And we forget that Jesus is coming again. He's coming again and he will collect his bride to be with him forever. This life is so short and eternity awaits And yet we're so fixated on the 50, 60, 70, 80, 90 years of our physical life. And yet the revelation of Jesus Christ is coming. That ought to fill us with joy. That ought to cause us to sing and shout triumphantly. It ought to cause us to to lift our ear just a little bit more awaiting for that trumpet sound. It, It ought to cause us to wonder every time maybe there's a thunderstorm that it could be the hoofs of the apocalypse on its way. One of the commentators used to say, every time you see that incredible ray of sunshine coming through the clouds, I look up there and I think, well, today would be a good day for Jesus to come. Every day would be. But you see those things in the sky and you look at the signs of the time and you say, even so, Lord Jesus, come quickly, we beg of you. That ought to inspire joy. If it doesn't, he is not your focus. He's not. Because if he were, he would be the one person that I am longing to see. And yet, perhaps most of us are longing to see our investments reach their total 
profitability. Perhaps we're awaiting for this, we're awaiting for that, we're waiting for that job to come through, we're waiting for the finances to come through. All of these things are so temporal and we forget to look above, to look above and see the greater truth. My Saviour's coming. Again, that inspires great joy. Number eight, this happened to me this week, and I'm sure it probably has this morning with what I've already read out. Number eight is joy at the conversion of the lost and the word going forth. Joy at the conversion of the lost and the word going forth. Look with me, please, to the book of Acts and chapter 13. Acts and chapter 13. And please, I beg of you as I read this, don't let these words just roll off my tongue and just, yep, that's interesting, that's nice. Consider what this passage would mean if it happened for us today here in Alexandra. Acts chapter 13 and verse 44. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. Can you imagine? Could you imagine here this morning, you know, we sit here, we're all getting ready for our church service and we're doing our normal things of life and we're worshipping together and suddenly the cafes empty. Uh, The bars and the pubs empty of their people. Uh, The football club stops their matches and people begin to gather because they want to hear the word of the Lord. Wow. Could you imagine? Boy, What that would do for us. Verse 45, but when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy. No surprise there for the Jews. They began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, it was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you. Since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. But the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of the district. Verse 51, but they shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium and the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. You know what was happening? People were getting saved. Lives were being changed. Those people who were bound in the chains of sin and the domain of darkness were being freed by the Spirit of God. And there was great opposition, which will always happen when the gospel goes out in strength. But there was joy to be had because they saw a greater thing happening than their normal life. They saw people responding to the gospel. Our hearts and our lives should be a reflection of what happens in heaven when a sinner believes. The Bible tells us there in Luke 15, 7, that there is joy in heaven when a soul is saved. Is there for you? Or are we so focused on this life? Are we so centered around our daily living that when someone makes a profession of faith, when when someone decides that they're going to turn from their sin and turn to Christ, we go, well, that is good, isn't it? That's not good. That's a supernatural miracle. That's greater than creation itself. This is recreation. 
God just remade a person, put his spirit within them and changed their life. That ought to fill us with joy. That ought to make us excited beyond all measure. If it doesn't, it means that my priorities are somewhere else. Oh, that we would joy, not just at conversion, because we won't always see conversion all the time, but joy at response to the word. When we see our fellow Christians who are struggling in some sin and God lifts them from that miry clay, sets them free from that addiction or that struggle, that ought to fill us with joy. Because the gospel again has demonstrated its power in that person's life. We ought to be filled with joy at those things. Number nine. You probably knew I couldn't pass by this one. Joy is found in the words of God. Jeremiah chapter 15 and verse 16. Jeremiah 15 and verse 16. Interestingly enough, the context of this particular passage is Jeremiah's complaining to the Lord. Jeremiah's actually making a complaint. I see myself so much in the life of Jeremiah, so often. Here I am and I'm actually praying to the Lord sometimes and I'm saying things like, it's just not right, it's not fair. We go through these... um, uh, conversations the Lord and I he's always right I'm always wrong most of the time when it comes to my own heart it's often wrong and I'm actually praying wrongly often and I'm saying Lord I, I, I'm talking to you I'm communing you I just don't understand why this is happening this doesn't seem fair to me I don't know if you do this but I do this when it comes to the Lord as I seek to commune with him and this is what Jeremiah is doing and then we come to this incredible verse verse 16 halfway through this complaint Jeremiah says Your words were found, and I ate them. And your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart. For I am called by your name, O Lord God of hosts. Suddenly in the midst of this prayer, suddenly in the midst of this complaint, Jeremiah remembers, I remember what happened. I took of your word, I put it into my spiritual mouth, I ate it, I digested it, I meditated on it, I thought about it. And you know what happened? When it went down, it became a joy to my inner man and the delight of my heart. You know, I don't know about you. But I have a fairly rigid discipline at the moment that I am seeking to be up early. I'm seeking to read the word. And you know, the truth is, before the Lord, I often don't want to. I don't want to. I often think I'm tired. This life is too busy. It's going to be hard to go for my jog, to read my Bible. It's just hard. I can't do it. And I come to that place. I've gone out for a walk or a jog to try and uh, get myself ready for the day, to try and lose some weight, to be disciplined in my life, all of those things. And I come back to the house and I think, I'm wrecked. Another hour of sleep would be really nice right now. I I force myself wrongly with the wrong motivation. Well, I guess I better just do it. This is the discipline I put in place. And so I open my Bible begrudgingly sometimes. And then I begin to read and I begin to think. And, you know, God has an amazing way of pointing that compass that's going wrong back north through the word of God. And it becomes a joy. 
It becomes something that fills my heart with a joy that I didn't have before that. I entered begrudgingly. I entered with the wrong motive. And yet God met me there, changed my heart and filled my heart with joy. And on those occasions, that day is a different day. It changes everything. And my encouragement for us, Christian, you can't afford not to be in the word. Even if you begin with the wrong approach, do it. Because God will meet you there and fill your heart with joy. And there are desert times. There are parched lands when we read the word and we feel like not much is going. Just keep on reading because the joy will come. Because when God's spirit who inspired this word interacts with my spirit, something wonderful happens. A spiritual being with a spiritual book from a spirit will change my view on life. Joy will be had in the words of God. Number 10. Number 10. And this is, I guess, at the end of the whole thing, this is the crux of it all. This is the one. If you forget everything else, this is the one. Joy is experienced when we esteem God higher than all. Than all. Joy is experienced when we esteem God higher than all. I want you to turn to a passage of scripture that is hard to find and ought to be on our memory verse list, I think. This is incredible. It's the book of Habakkuk. Habakkuk. If you have modern translations, you might call it Habakkuk. Habakkuk and chapter 3. I'll give you about 10 minutes to find it. But it is one of those minor prophets that are wedged in there somewhere in the middle of your Bible. A little bit hard to find. But I want everybody to see this. This is a remarkable portion of Scripture. Habakkuk chapter 3. In the face of great affliction, of great loss, of despair for God's people, for the prophet Habakkuk here, you couldn't end a letter, a book better than this. Habakkuk chapter 3 and verse 17. Before we read verse 17, just go back to verse 16. I want you to see the contrast. We don't have the time for all the context, but this is Habakkuk saying, I hear and my body trembles, my lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones, my legs tremble beneath me. Yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon us, upon people who invade us. They're about... They're about to be invaded. This is God has pronounced judgment and there's absolutely nothing Habakkuk can do about God's judgment coming. He just says, my body is riddled with rottenness. I am in despair here and I'm just waiting. Lord, you said it's coming. It's going to kill thousands of people, my people. We're going to die. We're going to be in slavery. All sorts of stuff's going to happen. That's what's the backdrop to what he writes in verse 17. Then he says this. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines, the produce of the olive fail and the fields yield no food. 
the flock be cut off from the fold and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on high places. You know what Habakkuk is saying? He's saying all of this evil, this judgment is coming upon me. There's going to be question about food. There's going to be question about finance. We're going to be uprooted out of our homes. Our life is going to change as God's people just like us today. On the other side, the other dispensation of grace, but yet these things are going to happen. We've got no food coming in. The flock are going to be cut off. We've got no hope in this life on its own, he says. Yet I will rejoice in not my people, not in the future, not in what is promised. I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy. Active decision. I will take joy. In the God of my salvation, he is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. You see, church, when God is our all in all, there is a joy that surpasses all of earth's circumstances. No matter what it is. No matter what you are facing this last week, no matter what you will face this week. And let me say, a message such as this invokes some sense of fear in my own heart because it makes me think, Lord, what is coming for you to want me to preach this to my people, to my own soul? What is coming? Are my fields about to be barren? Am I about to lose it all in order that I learn what the joy of the Lord is? I don't know. I don't know what that is for you. But this I see in the scripture time and time again. God's apostles, God's prophets, God's son was able to rejoice in the Lord despite all circumstances. And that's our call. And so we have to ask ourselves as we begin to draw a close here, how can I know then if I'm walking in the joy of the Lord, how can I know that? Well, practically speaking, here's some questions I asked last week. How do I, how do you respond when the fig tree no longer blossoms? How do you respond when there's no money in the bank? How do you respond when persecutions are rife? How do you respond when I'm in prison for obeying the call of Christ? How do you respond when your plans and goals crumble to pieces? How do you respond when work dries up? How do you respond when the fires of refinement burn brightly and your soul feels like it is going to break? How do you respond? And you can fill in the gap in your own life. I know some of your lives, I'm not going to say them publicly, but you can answer that question. How do I respond when dot, 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 dot is happening right now in my life? How am I responding right now? How am I responding? Is it with a certainty and a joy and a fixed faith that God is sovereign and good and he's going to bring me through this so I can rejoice despite everything else? going so totally wrong 
Now you thought the message was over. It's not, but it almost is. That was about experiencing joy. I want to close with our third and final point, which is short. I just think we need to touch on this, which is what it means to sustain joy. Sustaining joy. It's one thing to understand joy. It is another thing to experience joy. But then it is a totally different thing to sustain joy. To live perpetually in the life of joy that we've been called to. Well, you probably already know this, but like all spiritual attitudes, it is a decision. It's a decision of our will from the Holy Spirit prompting us to live moment by moment in close communion with the Lord. The last passage I'd like us to turn to is Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, and we are moments away from being done. Beginning in verse 15. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 15. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. We need to know that, by the way. The days are evil. Don't think everything's wonderful. It's not. Everything's evil for the most part in this life. The days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. By the way, let me add in here, the will of the Lord is that you will rejoice. That's one thing, that you would rejoice in the Lord always. That's the will of the Lord. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. But be filled with the Spirit. And what is the result, Paul, of being filled with the Spirit? Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. How? How can I have a sustaining, perpetual reality of joy in my life. Well, it's the same way you have ongoing love. It's the same way you have a temperance and patience and faithfulness. It is to walk in the Spirit. Theologically speaking, important for us to understand, the moment you are saved, the Holy Spirit comes to live within you, but just because he is resident does not make him president. It's a good little phrase that because he resides within does not mean he presides. He allows us to make decisions that will then stifle his work in our life. He never leaves. He never leaves. But that doesn't mean that I will always walk in him. It is an active decision to say I will walk in the ways of God and thereby be filled with the Spirit. Filling of the Spirit is not something that I can do, but the decision to surrender and sacrifice and repent is something that I do, resulting in the Spirit filling in my life, that I might walk in Him. When a man or woman is walking in step with God and being controlled by His Spirit, the result will be Acts chapter 16. At midnight they began to sing praises in the prison. How did they do that? It has to be the Holy Spirit. No human, no mortal can do that on their own. It has to be the Spirit. How can Corrie ten Boom look at her uh, accuser and the one who killed members of her family some years later and 
put her hand out and seek forgiveness from these people who murdered in the concentration camp, members of her family, and say, I love you and I forgive you. That is not humanly possible. That is spiritual. How is Stephen, who is stoned, able to look to heaven after he has been falsely accused and stoned and about to die and be able to say, I see the Lord Jesus in heaven. Don't let this be considered to their account. How does Jesus Christ on the cross, having been nailed, say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. How do I do it? I walk in the spirit and joy is the result. A certainty of God's sovereignty and his goodness. Uh, Colossians 3.16, a parallel passage says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. You will be joyous. You will be melodious. You will be harmonious when you're walking in the spirit. It'll be the natural language of the Christian to offer praise to the Lord. Joy is sustained As we abide in Christ. As we close, here's some questions for consideration. Have you, Christian, lost that fullness of joy which fills your heart with peace and contentment and your lips with praise and worship to the Lord? Have you lost that somewhere along the way? Have you forgotten or chosen to disbelieve God's sovereignty over your life? And his goodness, which he is working for you. There is a way back. Joy can be restored and sustained if you will return to him. I plead with you as your pastor, as your friend, as someone who wants to help you, come back. Come back to that place. It's not just some euphoria. It's not just something we put on. This is what happens when we walk with the Lord. One of my favorite all-time Christian songs was written by a man called Michael Card. Some of you will know that name. And John Thompson helped him write the words. And this song is called Joy in the Journey. This is what the words say. There is a joy in the journey. There is a light we can love on the way. There is a wonder and a wildness to life and freedom for those who obey. All those who seek it shall find it, a pardon for all who believe. Hope for the hopeless and sight for the blind to all who've been born of the Spirit and who share incarnation with him, who belong to eternity stranded in time and weary of struggling with sin. Forget not the hope that's before you and never stop counting the cost. Remember the hopelessness when you were lost. There is a joy in the journey. Heavenly Father, thank you for the joy that is ours in Christ. Thank you for the joy that is ours because the Spirit dwells within. Lord, all of us are prone to to wander from that place of spirit-filled, spirit-led, spirit-dominated living. We ask this morning that you would help us to return, to be revived, not because of anything we can do, but because you say, come unto me all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Promise both to the lost and to the Christian.
We need to come back to you. We need to remember and be restored in the joy of our salvation. I pray that would be a reality for us. Lord, help us to dispense with all those anxieties by casting them upon you, trusting you, knowing that you work for our good. We want to rejoice in you like Habakkuk, though the fig tree doesn't blossom and though there be no fruit upon the vine. Yet, I will rejoice in God. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.